You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. We're going to read a decent chunk of scripture here because we're not necessarily going to um, dig into and exposit a certain portion of this text, but there's an, there's an ethos, an environment, there's an atmosphere coming out of this section that's, that's easy to overlook or, or to kind of miss uh, the forest by, by isolating into a certain verse or a certain tree. So we're going to take a large swath here. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 2.18. So this is page 1164 in your pew Bible. Starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writing to the church, the gathered people of God in Philippi, says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you, it's a plural you there, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. Maybe you've heard this saying, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives. You can't pick your family. That's a, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. You can't pick your nose. Was that what Jennifer said or something? Your friend's nose. Yes, you can't pick, you can pick your nose. You can't pick your friend's nose. No, not that one. The other one. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family, right? It's a, it's a common statement. And basically, all that is trying to communicate that, that there, there are bonds that are so deep that you don't really get to pick them. They're just, they're just there. You know, you, you go to school and you make friendships or you're, you're out in the community and you, you meet people various places and, uh, you know, you, you strike up conversations. And some people you just kind of connect with and your friendships are formed. But then we all go through seasons and you could all talk, you know, lots of times um, work environments produce friends. Like you'll, you'll go and you work at a certain place and make good friendships because you're around them a lot. But then when you kind of quit that job or retire or go to something else, you kind of lose some of those friendships because the bond was, was kind of around a job. I mean, but family, you just, no matter how much you might dislike some of them, in a perfect world, you know, the, the family, it's, it's together. It remains the same. And so you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. They are yours. Well, we're talking about what is the nature of the church. What is the, the real, the, 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 what makes up the church, who we are as a people? And we could do a, a deep uh, multi-week series of digging into the ecclesiology and, and all this, you know, trying to, and I've got books back there. And if you want to do a deep dive on, on such things, look, looking at the church throughout all of the Old Testament into the New Testament and into the eschatological future, it's fun. I'd love to talk about it. But I, I'm in these few weeks. I'm really hoping to just paint with more of a broad brush, paint with more of a broad brush. I'm hoping to communicate some general realities regarding the nature, the mission, and the structure or the frame of the church. You know, with the recent conversations that have been going on in the congregation and struggles and difficulties that have been stirred up, I think a lot of a lot of the the talking past each other comes from a difference of understanding of what it is that we are to be. What are we doing here? And so last week we talked about the reality that we are, that the church of Jesus Christ from the beginning of the book of Philippians is a, a group that is partnered, is a gospel partnered people. The church of Jesus Christ, the local body, the church body is a gospel partnered People. And that comes straight from the prayer there at the beginning of Philippians where Paul says he's, he's thankful for them. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That there's a partnership, a centrality of the gospel. And there's this ongoing reality that the impact of the gospel has 
on the local church body. It's something that we are so anchored to and so centered on, and it's, it's the hub of a wheel. It isn't, it isn't like the, the engine of the train where there's all these cars that are kind of following just this one, you know, this, the, the engine goes through first and the rest just kind of follows. And, but it's more like the hub of a wheel where everything that's going to be healthy in the wheel is connected and centered back to this one gospel truth. They are centered around the gospel from beginning to the end. The gospel is not just some punch card that once affirmed operates like a passport into the church. Like, okay, I got my gospel card. I, I walked my aisle or I affirmed these beliefs or I went through confirmation class and so I, I've got my ticket punched basically and so you, know, you put it back in your wallet and you get it out occasionally when they say, you know, are you a Christian? Well, let me, let me check my gospel passport. Yeah, okay, I got it checked. Yeah, I, I believe that. It isn't some sort of a punch card that, that you put back into your wallet. It is the central driving reality that we are partnered together in and anchored to. We discussed last week the gospel is this good news. Remember we did the, the quadrants of God, man, Christ response. And there is that the reality that God, the transcendent creator, made all things. Man and his rebellion broke the world and is plunged under the wrath of God in judgment. That's biblically commanded that we talk about that reality, that mankind is in trouble. But there is a savior. It isn't man, Jesus shows up, lives the righteous life we should live, dies the death that we deserve. I assume some of you could probably say this on your own. I say it enough. Lives the righteous life we should have lived, dies the death that we deserve, so that through repentance and faith in Christ we can be forgiven of our sins, made righteous in God's sight, brought into the family. So that's where the response comes in. There's the general idea of, of the gospel. But it isn't just the front door in. It isn't just the punch card. It is... It is this hub around which we are centered. Justification, the forgiveness of your sin, and right standing with God is absolutely crucial. But when you boil it down to that, it almost can boil it down to just this singular work that we begin with, not an ongoing work. The gospel as the hub of the Christian life is not just this engine that drives the thing, though it is the engine that drives the thing, but it is a central hub of our reality. The gospel impacts everything in your life. It impacts the way you parent. It impacts the way you relate in your marriage. It impacts the way you operate in your vocation. It impacts your friendships. It impacts your identity. It impacts your sexuality. It impacts your checking account. It impacts your friendships. Everything. News this large doesn't get stuck in a corner. It impacts everything. I was on a Zoom call this week with some other uh, brothers in Christ and just sharing uh, you know, what's going on in our lives and concerns and prayer requests that we had. And um, you know, I started to share kind of my burden for, for things going on here and, and having a direction that I, that I think a God-honoring, biblically faithful direction trying to steer this into and my concern about 
uh, you know, the, the stress and the pressure of, you know, I, I, I want so badly for, for something good to happen here and, and feeling just, you know, uh, concern and anxiety and, and all of these issues um, to see the church get there. But as I'm in this conversation with other men centered and grounded in the gospel, I was convicted. I was convicted because there, there was an undue amount of pressure that I was putting upon myself. There is this, what, what message, when, when someone is feeling that level of anxiety, what is the message that needs to hear? And because we are a gospel-centered people, the, the counsel was not, well, Darren, you have it within you. You can do this, you know. It's positive affirmation sort of thing. It wasn't some sort of wise caution, like, don't care about this too much. You know, you got to, you know, just make sure you moderate and take care of yourself. You could think of many counsels that could be given. But with gospel-centered friends, with a gospel-centered heart, pretty quickly my flaw was pointed out. In my pride, I was trying to carry the weight of God's purposes as though I am the centerpiece, as though I am the one who by my strength need to make things happen instead of being faithful with what's in front of me and letting God do the work. And having gospel-centered friendships, having this is what I mean by the gospel is not just the thing that gets you in the door. In that moment, what I needed to do, like our Sunday school lesson this morning, is see my sin, see my pride, see my self-centeredness, see my self-reliance, and repent. It's a rejection of God in the, in the fall of man. I need to repent. See that Christ died for that sin. So that by confessing that, laying that out, turning from it, trusting God instead of myself, forgiveness, restoration comes in. We are to be a gospeled people. And a gospeling, you shouldn't do that with English, I know, but a, a gospeling people where we are Living centered upon the good news. I needed gospel truth. Marriages need the gospel. And I don't just mean they need to repent of their sins one time, trust Jesus, you know, and then it's all, then figure it out. Forgiveness happens in the context of the gospel. Husbands and wives laying down their lives for the better of their spouse happens because of the gospel. Grievances being forgiven happen because of the gospel. Service to one another happens because of the gospel. The fuel to all of that is the gospel. The way you relate out in the community, the way you are with your coworkers, the way you are in your friendships, all of it influenced by the gospel. But we do hit a snag. How is all of that gospel application going to be fostered and worked into us? How, how are we supposed to, okay, so we have this grand idea that the gospel affects every area of your life. But when we walk out these doors, so we're here on a Sunday morning, and we walk out these doors, how is that application actually going to be worked into us? If the gospel truths are just ideas and concepts that we give mental space to, but nothing more, we're denying the gospel in its fullness of application. There is more than just mental agreement, but by what mechanism does it become more in our daily lives? When we speak about the church body, what do we think the connection between us should be? 
What does it mean? What is the nature of the church? What does it mean to be the church? What do we think the connection between us should be? And this is what I mean by the implication, the ethos of the text here in Philippians. We read this large portion, but think about all of the communal language that is there. All of these applications, all of these exhortations are these communal exhortations the way they're going to stand firm in one spirit, the way they're going to have one mind striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel, the way they're going to live in the face of opponents is together, calling them at the end there children of the Father. There's all this mutuality, this encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit. He talks of this specifically this participation in the Spirit. We spoke last week about um, your partnership in the gospel. We said that was the Greek word koinonia, which means gathering or partnership or assembly. And that word partnership in the gospel is the exact same word here for participation in the Spirit. There's this joint fellowship, an ongoing sharing together of the Spirit for the partnership in the gospel, but also this partnership, this participation in the spirit. It's a mutual experience together of the gospel in the church. There's a connected community in Philippi. If, if that doesn't exist, the letter doesn't make any sense. If you read the book of Philippians and you take all the you's and just make them about a singular you, it doesn't make sense. How do you... How do you have encouragement one another if you're the only you? There's, there's an implied gathering in, in the book of Philippians. And in fact, in all of, the, all of the epistles that Paul and Peter write, they are talking about this reality of a community. How are you supposed to refuse selfishness and count others more significant than yourself unless there's an other? Doesn't that make sense? You can't count someone else more significant than you if you're the only one. It requires an other. I've got, okay, all right, okay. Just trying to make sure we're, we're there. So some of this won't make any sense if you still regard the church as something that we do. If you regard church as something that we do, this will make no sense. For, for many in our culture today, the concept of church is not necessarily a building we attend. And I know we all point to it and say, there's a church. We mean it's a church building. We understand what that means. Not many people actually mean that there's something significant about the sacred space of the church. So some would hold on to that. The church is a concept of a, a building we attend. But more often, the idea of the church is the programs that we do together. And so we say things like, the, the, is the Sunday morning worship service is going to church. And the church is a program that we do. It is a place we attend. It is, it is an activity that we engage in. But when we think, when it comes to our concept of the church, we have to have this, this fundamental reality in place that the church is not something we do, but something we are together. The church is not something we do. It is something we are together. It is not a program we put on, and I'm not against the Sunday morning worship service. I'm not against a Wednesday night study. I'm not against a, any sort of prayer meeting or other gathering time. I'm not opposed to those programs, the CYF programs, whatever it may be. But 
The church is not the things we do. It is, it is what we are together. And now, when we are together, we do do things. <laughs> so it isn't that we don't do things, but that it's so easy to get that flipped and to think the church is just the things we do, when really the reality is the church is what we are together. And then, yes, of course, we do things. When we look at any individual... The question, it should not be, do they go to my church? You know, you think you can look around at different individuals and they'll say, yeah, they, they go to my church, meaning various different things by that. But instead, the question should be, are they a part of the church with me? Are they a part of the church with me? Do we have fellowship? Do we have community? Do we have meaningful interaction where we can one another each other? That is what makes up the church. A gospel partnership requires both the gospel and an actual partnership. It requires the gospel and an actual partnership. The Bible uses many metaphors to illustrate the nature of the church. And one common one is the, is the illustration of the body, right? Paul uses this analogy in the book of Colossians. So, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Back one book into Colossians, Paul uh, speaks that, says that in verse 18, that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head, the church is the body. But then on down in chapter 2, verse 18, speaking about the divisions that are, that are going on, he says that uh, to let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up with reasons by a sensuous mind. But this false teacher, what's he doing wrong? Verse 19, not holding fast to the head, being Christ, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. These false teachers, they've lost Jesus and his gospel. And the consequences to this, from when Paul speaks about them, is that the whole body then begins to disintegrate because all the ligaments and joints grow together only because of their connection with the head. They grow together and connected to the head. That's the illustration of the body being the church. A body that is not together cannot be connected to the head, right? It cannot effectively be called uh, part of the body. So I've got a gross story. Anyone want a gross story? <laughs> so uh, who's had their tonsils out? I mean, is any, uh, who's had their tonsils out? Adenoids, whatever, removed. Well, I was... I don't know, I was, must have been had tonsillitis, whatever it was. And so Dr. Mitchell uh, in Ringle County Hospital cut my tonsils out when I was a kid. But they did this weird thing back in the, whatever it would have been in the 80s, where you could take your tonsils home with you. <laughs> did anybody bring, like, random body parts home ever? I don't know. I, I know they don't let you now, like, because there's all sorts of, like, disease on you. Like, you just shouldn't, shouldn't touch that. Like, you can't take your tooth home now from the dentist, but you're not supposed to, because it's like, go well, anyway. I had in the jar of our bathroom at home a little jar of my tonsils for forever. Now, when I would get out this jar of my tonsils, in what way was that really a part of my body? I mean, it was once connected to me, but there was no life, no vitality. I couldn't really say, like, we li it lived in a cupboard, and I lived my life out in the world. 
We were no, no, meaningful, no meaningful way could I say that is a part of me. It was a part of me, but it is not currently a part of me. That, and it, we, we sometimes, the, the church is meant to be this body that is connected, not jars of tonsils everywhere. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just think it's gross. It's a weird story. Uh, that's now all I hear about. Remember the time you told that tonsil story? Missed the whole point. Uh, that the church is meant to be this connected body. How vital is this close connection? How important, how pivotal is it? Jesus says it's the very thing that's going to set us apart from the world. In John 13, 35, he says, they'll know you are Christians. It's like a little uh, chorus. They'll know you're Christians, what? By your love for one another. How do you love one another if you don't ever aren't connected and around one another? That there's supposed to be such a unique care and concern for each other in the church that it causes pause in the world around us. Not just being pleasant, giving a smile as you pass by one another, but a deep love that comes from genuinely knowing each other, being honest with each other, mutually discipling each other, forgiving one another and loving one another. Why? Is, is this just a command to do something to be together with no benefit? So we're supposed to just be connected and then connected to the body. And, and here Darren is talking about these are all things we need to be, as, as a, if we're going to call ourselves a church body in any meaningful sense, we need to invest energy in having genuine, fruitful, discipling, meaningful relationships one to another. Is this just a command with no purpose? Not as Jesus sees it. In Mark chapter 10, Peter, is that right after the rich young ruler? We don't I, you know the story of the rich young ruler, and he walks away sad, and Peter says, you know, Lord, we've, we've given up fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, houses, lands to follow you. And this is right after the rich man will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter said, we've left all of these things. And Jesus says something very interesting to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth, that, that you, those who have walked away from those things, will receive mothers, sisters, brothers, houses, lands in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. It's really weird. Like Peter's saying, we're leaving all of these these important connections behind to follow you. We're leaving everything. And Jesus says, all that you've left, you really gain an entire way more in, in, in following me. What, in this life, he says that. What is he communicating there? He's communicating this reality that when you come into the family of God, you inherit a family. You may have to, and this is, this is much easier to talk about in a culture that Christianity really costs you something. Christianity is beginning to cost you more and more in our world today. If you take a stand on biblical Christianity, turns out many people will not like what you say. And they'll let you know. It will cost you something, and you might lose friends. You might lose Family members might say, if that's the way you're going to go, I can't go that way with you. It might cost you something. But Jesus' point is that when you follow him, you're brought into a family. You will receive a hundredfold brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, houses to go into. Where does that happen? In the local church. In the local church. 
among us. So you have to ask the question, if someone were to be ostracized, come to Christ, and their family kicks them out, do they have that sort of a belonging among us? That should be our hope. That should be our hope. That when they come in, they've got hundreds, well, maybe not hundreds, we're a small town, small church. They got tens of mothers, sisters, brothers, houses to call their own. They have a real, meaningful, true belonging. Why do we do this? Why, why is Jesus calling for this? Because the reality comes for all of us that, that there is deep need for this sort of connection and support. Life is not, this is, I know this is revolutionary, this is the most profound I'm going to say, life is not easy. And it takes friends, it takes family, it takes those who are anchored in the same, people of, of like anchoring to live alongside with you. In these, these realities, an anchor fixed firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ, producing a Holy Spirit-filled partnership and true meaningful belonging with fellow brothers and sisters that cares for our souls through all of the ups and downs of life. I need the church. It's what's funny, the role that I've been given as pastor or whatever that is of this church. And I understand that, yeah, leadership is involved, but there's a very real sense. The reason why I want health for the church and to go directions is because I need the church. My family, my kids, we need the body of Christ. No one is an island. We need this partnership and connection that will care for our souls through all the ups and downs of life and it is the anchor that compels the church in its mission of looking out into the Ringgold County, looking out into Mount Air and saying, we know scores of people who need that sort of anchor, who need that sort of love and joy that is found in the fellowship. So what does this take? An embrace of the gospel and a meaningful embrace of each other. Time, commitment, covenant, a promise to honor Christ, and to work to serve one another for his sake and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, as we have just spent a few minutes thinking on this this morning, I pray, Father, that you would build in us a partnership in the gospel, a fellowship in the spirit, partnership in the spirit, participation one and another in the spirit. Father, because our souls need it, and because there is a world around us that needs welcomed into a place where life is not just filled with the storms, but life is in the midst of the storms built upon a rock, a solid place to plant your feet in the ups and downs of life. Father, build that among us according to your will. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.